0: At Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years, no interest, plus five months, no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or call 855 pella
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
0: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We have to do... A better job of figuring out how to live with COVID. So I was just talking to, to Steve. I, one of the big things we've been hearing about for the longest time, and I, I don't disagree with it in concept, is it's the idea of testing. You know, you you want to get people tested. We want to get people to check themselves if they think they've been exposed to COVID. We want to find out if they're testing positive, so they can quarantine themselves, not come into work, not infect other people, not go out about in public. All all makes a lot. Of sense the problem though is for that to work you have to number one make sure that people can get tested easy and I don't mean standing sitting in line for like three hours in in cars but secondly even more importantly you need to make sure that they can get the results in a prompt fashion now right now that the CDC has changed its recommendation and they've said, well, okay, if you've been exposed to COVID, um, you, you don't have to quarantine for 10 days, you have to quarantine for five. But now there's this pushback saying, well, but before you can go back to work, there's some people who say you should have to have a, a negative COVID test. All right. Sounds, sounds perfectly reasonable. Should have to have a negative COVID test. But the problem is, if you can't get one, or you can't get the results of your COVID test in a timely sort of fashion, what, what is the point? You know, I, I, I know somebody, for example, who had a COVID exposure. Didn't have COVID themselves. At, was exposed to somebody, though, a close contact who had COVID. So, um, What they do is they say, okay, we're we're going to do the quarantine. They take the at-home COVID test and it comes back negative. All right, that that that's great. Everything looking good. But their workplace says, "Well, okay, but before you come back, though, we want you to have, you know, one of the lab sort of uh, COVID tests. So go get yourself tested, and you know that that's fine. All right, that that that's great. So my, my friend goes, and they find out, a, they find a spot hard to find, but they find a place that does the, the COVID testing that's checked by the lab. They get it done. This test is Saturday. It's now Tuesday. They still don't have the results back. I was telling a story. I I was in a pharmacy yesterday just picking up my regular prescriptions. And next to where I pick up the prescriptions, there's one of these desks where they – it's through Aurora Hospital, I think, and they – they they have um, they make arrangements to do testing and things like that. And i just, it's just I'm standing in line for ten minutes waiting to get my prescription. I'm listening the phone ring and ring and ring. And the gal who's answering these are saying, "Yeah, I I know you I know you had your test on Friday. We don't have the test results back yet. I know you had your test on Saturday. We don't have the test results back yet. And so the result is you have all these people who are. Are sort of paralyzed. They're in this kind of limbo thing because they they've done everything right. They're trying to quarantine. They're trying to get the tests, but but they can't get them back because the system is overwhelmed. I'm not I'm not criticizing the the healthcare professionals or the people who are processing these tests. But if we are now going to move to this testing mode, is it fair to say what? Why did we get in this situation? And, and, and this is, haven't we been hearing about testing for the last two years? And, and if this is going to be the way out of this, you know, why weren't we in a position where there were more tests that were readily available and we were in a, a position to do this and then turn them around so people know what it is that they are supposed to do? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. To me, I, I think right now, one of the biggest things to getting people back to work is this whole idea of it's not necessarily even the people that are infected with covid all right but it's the people who might have been exposed to people with covid or have had covid who are trying to be responsible or trying to figure out okay when can i go back and when when can i go back and start living my life when can i go back to work because my workplace needs me and they're they're hung up because they can't get test results back in a timely fashion. I mean, and and I I was just thinking about my friend who had the COVID test on on like a Saturday. If you can't get the results back till Tuesday or Wednesday, what does it tell you anyways? It, It tells you, well okay on on Saturday when you took the test you were clear or or you weren't clear but now it's several days later it's almost like if you cannot get results in a timely fashion why even bother because again all this information is so time sensitive 8556161620 that's the Equinett mortgage talk and text line this is this is the more I mean you want to talk about right now the the recent epic fail of our, our ability to deal with with COVID, that this this is it. If we're, as we try to figure out a way to live with COVID, all right fine, we've got to live with COVID. That means you got to be able to figure out if you've been exposed and if you're positive so you can do the right thing. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the testing process needs to be a lot more sophisticated to preclude a binary response. We shouldn't have people either quarantining or not quarantining due to a shoddy, inconsistent testing procedures. It creates an us versus them environment because all people can see is the threat and not the risk Level, Jeff, my test was on a recent Friday afternoon. I didn't receive the result until the following Tuesday morning, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday morning, four or five days. I was beyond frustrated. Well, um, yes, Jeff, we were tested on December 31st and have not yet received the tab results. Um, well, you, you've got this indicator and in, Jeff, we got in this situation because 35 percent of the population refused to get vaccinated. Well, yes and no, because now you're seeing Well, that's actually not true. I mean, it's not President Biden for the longest time has been describing the current problems as the epidemic of the unvaccinated. But that's not true anymore, because the vaccinations are not great at stopping people from getting this latest variant of COVID. And that's what has a lot of people who are on the sidelines. The vaccinations people should get them. They're great because they stop you from getting really sick and having to go to the hospital. And that's that's. That's great. But they're, they're not necessarily stopping people from getting we don't even call them breakthrough cases anymore because so many people are getting them. Well, if, if we don't want people sitting on the sidelines for, you know, 10 days, not being able to fly planes, not being able to teach classes, all of which I think is is great. But you, you got to be able to get the results back quickly, don't you? Dave in Wauwatosa. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
2: Jeff, here's our situation. I'll try and and encapsulate this quickly. Um, Our granddaughter, I mean our daughter, and our 9-year-old son live with us. We live in Wauwatosa. We've lived here forever. He's a student at one of the elementary schools, and last week, Tuesday, uh, came down to the office. They thought he didn't feel well. His mom went to school. They determined he was Okay. Come home and come back the next day. As long as he didn't have any symptoms, that next day, out of an abundance of caution, she took him just to be tested. We still don't have the results back. He can't go back to school, and because he's not, uh, he doesn't have COVID. He can't go into the online education. Oh my gosh! Totally frustrated. No, you know, know, and and again, there's no bad people here. It's just that the the principal and the nurse and everybody's worked with us. But still, we've got a nine-year-old boy here. We're going into day eight, and the nurse actually went online this morning. Right. And she can't even find that his data has been submitted to be uh, evaluated. Yes. Yes. His mom went, his his mother went last Sunday, the 2nd. She did not get her data uh, uh, until yesterday morning at noon.
0: Okay. And so yesterday would have, uh, yesterday would have been the 10th or 11th or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. well, right. If yeah. you're going to have the testing, you, you have to be able to get results within 24 hours or 36 hours if they're going to be meaningful at all. And, and we're, and so, I mean, I, you Dave, your, your grandson is stuck in this catch 22 limbo where they, they can't do anything. And who knows when they're going to get out of it. Yeah, uh,
2: I know. And that's a frustration. I I don't want to say we're angry. We just don't know what to do. And it's so disappointing that in a situation like this, that some procedure or something couldn't cut to the chase.
0: Yes, no, th- so. exactly. And I, I just it, it is interesting to me that we we look, I, I understand you get to follow the science. Covid kind of changes. We change our response to it. I, I get all that. But if, if, let's, let, if you want to put politics into it, if this was a situation that was happening under Donald Trump and you had people that were saying, you know, we're, we're waiting days and days and days to get the results of our tests before we can resume ordinary life. Well, you could, can you just imagine, you know, what the headlines would, would be? And for everybody who says, okay, well, the CDC made a huge mistake. And so now with the CDC, uh, they need to change their guidelines again that says that even after five days, if you don't have a, you, you can't go back to work unless you have a negative test, well, it, that, that would become meaningless because they can't get negative test results back to you in any sort of timely fashion. Again, like what David and I were saying, there's no bad guys. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the people in the lab. We just do not have the capabilities to do this. And I think this is a fair question to say over the last year plus. You know, Ever since the vaccines have come out, we've been talking about testing and talking about testing and talking about testing, and yet the infrastructure is not there to do it. So you have all these people that are, are trying to do the right thing, who are now in complete and total limbo, being told, well, you, you can't come back, even though you've got no symptoms, even though you had that at-home kit, the tested negative, um, you, you can't come back till you get the formal results of one, but we can't guarantee when you can get in to get an appointment to have. One of those tests, and we certainly can't guarantee when you um, are going to get the results. And the result of that is a lot of people, I'm sure, are just saying, "Okay, I'm going to keep this to myself." You, you know, I don't, I don't feel sick, don't think I have it, um, but I, I, just, I can't be off work for this length of time, getting caught in this this whole process out there. So yeah, I'm all in favor of testing, but the government got to it's got to get its act together because if you're going to mandate this stuff you have to make sure that there is a reasonable turnaround and right now we are getting an f grade on that
3: this is jeff wagner on wtmj a
0: couple interesting texts on this jeff the idea that well people are supposed to just stay home until a test tells them that they can resume their life is in my opinion ridiculous if you're sick Stay home, stay away from people. If you are well, continue your life. Now, uh, I you know there, there's a lot of common sense to that. Now, I understand we're trying to deal with this gray area where you have people who may be asymptomatic. They may be sick or by that by a sense, I mean, they might be infected with COVID, but they are asymptomatic with about 40% of the people show no symptoms or anything like that of this latest one. So I understand we're trying to catch those 40%, the people who might have been exposed to someone who had COVID, um, aren't sick themselves, but nevertheless have it. So that is a a worthwhile and noble goal, but the way we're going about it just is not working. And to somebody who has no symptoms, feels absolutely fine, is perfectly able to go back to, to work, for example, to tell them you can't go back to work. First, got to wait five days, and then then you have to have a, a negative test. Well, all right, it would be one thing if you could get a negative test and you could get the results, you know, back immediately. All right, you know, I, I've had my exposure here. Monday is the day I'm supposed to be done with the five-day quarantine. I'll go in Monday afternoon. I'll get the I'll have the result by you know, four o'clock in the morning, Tuesday, and I'm back at work at eight o'clock. If you could do something like that, well, OK, maybe this would be sort of a workable kind of strategy. But if you go in and you take that test on a Monday and then you're not able to get the results for another four or five days and you're in this limbo of being off work, it just it's not working. And a lot of the people who I think are caught up in this are people who who are perfectly Healthy. Jeff, during the waiting period to get test results, many employers are requiring you to use sick leave, or in my case, PTO, for days missed. I'm trying to bank hours for leave for an upcoming pregnancy. Doesn't seem fair that employees must use time to cover work missed for this policy when we are not sick. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I'm perfectly healthy. I'm able to come into work. But my my kid tested positive for covid. I took the at home test that showed negative. But yet I have to sit around and now you're going to make me use my sick time for this. You know, somebody suggests that, you know, maybe not having enough people to work in the labs could be the problem at which. Absolutely. And that's why. That's why maybe we should have been figuring out over the course of, oh, I don't know, say the last year or so, if this was going to be how we were going to transition and we're going to go to this thing where we want everybody to get tested all the time. Something, again, I understand in theory, but. Maybe somebody should have said, okay, let's figure out exactly how how this is going to work and how are we going to turn around these tests in a meaningful and fast fashion so that people can get results and then can go get on with their life. It's just a fair question that maybe we should have thought of before. Ron DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida, and he's, well, he is a lightning rod simply because all along, his basic philosophy has been, I want to do everything I can to keep Florida open. We are not going to go in. We're not giving in to the lockdowns and things like that. And that has made him very controversial. And he's loved by a lot of people. And he's despised by others since he's, like, gone up against the medical establishment and things like that. But it, it doesn't bother DeSantis. And, of course, DeSantis is talked about as a potential presidential candidate in, in 2024. Matter of fact, if you look at a lot of the polling of Republicans after after Trump, DeSantis is typically number two, a distant number two right now, but number two. Well, DeSantis getting ready to run for re-election of the governor of Florida. And, and I, I got to admit, I somewhat like the guy's style because he, he just doesn't back down. He sells T-shirts. I mean, one of the ways they raise funds is he's got a website and and they sell they sell t-shirts and the t-shirts are kind of eh, they're sort of in your face sort of things the latest one though is just it's sort of a beautiful thing it's called escape to florida and it it's it's available on the campaign website for 25 bucks and the front of it shows like a the state of florida with the open for business sign on it okay then on the back um and this is It's called the Lockdown Libs Tour, and it's got a list of prominent national Democrats who have all been in favor of lockdowns in their particular area, who have been caught in Florida not social distancing and not wearing masks. They include Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, California representative um, Eric Swalwell, and of course, most prominently, New York representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who have been on vacations. You remember the most recent one, um, AOC is is down, who is of course big mask and lockdown sort of stuff. She's in Florida at this big party dancing around, you know, maskless and stuff. And then, then she apparently comes down with COVID a few days later, which is no laughing subject, but it is kind of this irony of do as I say, not as I end up doing. So DeSantis, very much in your face. And again, some people, some people hate it. I think the guy's got a degree of style, the lockdown liberal tour, you know, all right, everybody else, this is what you should do. We got a lockdown. We've got a social distance. We've got to wear our masks, all of which might be, you know, great and sound advice. But then, They travel to Florida and they just kind of say, well, we're not going to pay attention to these rules. What applies to the little people back in New York shouldn't apply to me when I travel down to Florida.
1: This is Jeff Wagner on (laughs) WTMJ.
0: There there, is. a piece um, written by one of these national columnists who tends to be very liberal is expressing her frustration with all the different conflicting rules and stuff that doesn't make sense and again she's approaching it from the left sent out a tweet last week um says stay indoors but also return in person wear a mask not that one wear the expensive one that you can't find take rapid tests which you also can't find but if you find them don't buy them rapid tests don't work and then wait for the results i'm adding this you know take a test and then you know don't won't we'll go back to work until you get the results of the test which might come five six seven days later it's just it's a mess right now and i think that's one of the things that's contributing to a lot of people's frustration who want we all really want to do the right thing or i hope most of us want to do the right thing but the problem is i don't know nobody really knows for sure what the right thing is
1: jeff wagner on wtmj
0: Speaking of Ron Johnson, he's going to be joining me on the program at the start of the 2 o'clock hour tomorrow. He's scheduled to call in at 2.08, and we will talk about, now that he's definitely in the race, we'll, we'll talk about some of the horse race aspects and where he sees this campaign going and things like that over the course of uh, the next 10 or 11 months. Oh, okay, here's here's the story. This is one of my favorite stories of the day, and the, the Twitter mob is outraged. My question to you is going to be, should they be now This story comes to us from Canada so here 's the deal there 's this local politician in Manitoba. Um, his name is John Rays now in Canada, it snows a lot it snows a bunch here, but it snows even more in Manitoba, Canada. His wife is is a nurse she 's a registered nurse and she works at, at a local hospital so this happens a few nights ago. She's on, she's on one of these deals where you're working 12 hour shifts and she works overnight. So the guy, John Reyes, he's, he's at home. He's in bed. Kids are in bed. They're sleeping. It snows overnight. Got it. So, and it snows enough to shovel several inches of snow. Uh, the wife, Cynthia, she's working at the hospital. So she's working a 12 hour shift. So she gets off at six in the morning, or, or whatever that is, and and she drives home. So she pulls into the driveway, and the driveway has several inches of snow in it because it, it snowed overnight. So what she does is she like stops the car, and then she she's just gotten off of work. She's worked a twelve-hour shift. She goes and grabs the snow shovel, and she starts shoveling the driveway. Now it's six o'clock in the morning, or so. Well, the, the the guy, the dad, he apparently wakes up and he, and he hears his wife is out there shoveling the, the snow. So he, he makes himself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or whatever and, and watches her shovel the snow. And then he, he takes his cell phone and he takes a picture of of his wife out shoveling the the snow after working a 12-hour shift at the hospital. And then he posts it on Twitter. And the caption is, Even after a 12-hour night shift at the hospital last night, my wife still has the energy to shovel the driveway. God bless her and all our frontliners. Time to make her some breakfast. So he puts the, this picture up, and there's his wife who just worked a 12-hour shift. She's out there shuffling this this, this long driveway full of snow. And then he puts it out there on, on Twitter. Well, the response is quick. And and this this post goes, as we say, it's a cliche, but it's, it's true, it goes viral. As tens of thousands of people chime in, The it's always split when you're on Twitter, but the majority... Of the, the people who respond to this post say something like, what the hell? Get down there and shovel some snow. Why didn't you shovel the driveway instead of watching her and just taking a picture? Um, you know, so it, it, it goes on and on, but, but that's the, the majority of this is, Hey buddy, you know, you get up, you're standing inside your warm house and you're watching your wife who's just worked 12 hours, shovel this. And then you take a picture and then you post it. You know, what kind of lazy, you know, what are, are you? So that's, that's the, the huge response to this. Now the, 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 the wife, Cynthia, you know, she feels compelled to respond and she said, well, um, You know, it said, I don't, don't worry. I mean, I just, as I pulled into the driveway, I felt the energy to shovel the snow that fell in the night and in the morning. I thought it was a great workout, you know, no, no problem. And he didn't make me do it. He heard me shoveling. It actually woke him up and he was impressed that I had the energy to do this. So he took a picture. Okay. Our number 855-616-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right. Let's say this happens. You know, you're at home, guys, and Because th- this raises to me so many interesting questions about: is this is this sexism? If the positions had been reversed, and the the guy had worked all night at a on a twelve hour shift, and then come home, and then had gone out and shoveled the the driveway, would this have been an issue? If if his wife had taken a picture of this, so is this is this just a sexist sort of thing, um or? Is this the deal where, okay, wife has worked 12 hours all night. Buddy, When you, if, even if you hadn't, even if you had not shoveled the snow overnight so it's cleared by the time she gets back, when you see her out there shoveling, instead of standing there and watching her and having a cup of tea, do you throw in your clothes and go out there and help her shovel? 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What would have happened at your household? in a situation like this 855-616-1620 that's the Acunet Mortgage talking text line obviously Cynthia the the lady she's not upset about this she just said well it just it needed to be done I came home and I had a little bit of energy the guy is well he's taking a lot of heat um, for for kind of being a lazy bum for not going out and helping her is that fair 855-616-1620 we discuss
1: back to take your calls here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner 855-616-1620.
0: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. This is—I I find this to be sort of a cute little story about uh, this. Jeff, the exact same thing would have happened at my house. I get things done. My hubby is the one who waits. Jeff what a wife wonder if she has any sisters <laughs> that, that's there uh, jeff if the roles were reversed no one would bat an eye with that being said if i had a lovely wife who just worked a 12-hour shift at the hospital god bless her i wouldn't have taken a picture of her for the internet to see not unless it was both of us busting our butts shoveling the snow i don't think he's wrong or owes an explanation further than the one he's already provided but he does definitely come off as a bum i do acknowledge though that there is a double standard well and i think that that is that is clear. thats thats clear. That's one of the aspects. Like I say, if it had been the, the husband that had worked overnight, the 12 hour shift at the hospital, he comes home and decides, OK, before I go in, I'm going to I'm going to shovel the snow. And it's his wife who takes the picture. I, I don't think people would have, have batted an eye. I think that's a fair comment. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good
3: afternoon, Jeff.
2: How, how are
0: you? I'm good. What do you think?
3: Well, I don't think it's fair and I do think it's sexist. Um you know, I'm, I'm not married, but I will shovel my daughter's mother's driveway for her, and I'm glad to do it. And a lot of times it's after I've worked in the daytime, and I just have energy. You know, a lot of times after work, I, I mean, uh-huh. I think that's probably how this late was. She just had energy. She wanted to do it. And the guy was obviously very proud of her. Yeah. I mean, he's saying, look, she just worked a 12-hour shift, so she's doing it. And then he makes her breakfast. And sometimes my daughter's mother will do something nice for me when I do that. So yeah. I don't think there's any problem with
0: it at all. Well, I mean, and obviously, thanks. I mean, obviously, the, the wife... Cynthia is um, you know, she, she has no problem with it. That's what she says. I, I will I will say this sexist or otherwise. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to put myself in that position. And I think if my wife came home and she's kind of like an energizer bunny and doing these things, and admittedly I, I sort of delay stuff, but I, I think if I saw her in the driveway shoveling six inches of snow, I, I think I think that would have probably shamed me. I think at that point in time, I put on my boots, I go out and say, honey, you know, go on inside, warm up, and and let me me finish this. But that, again, that's just me. There's no one right or wrong thing with the situation. Jeff, I have no problem with the driveway being shoveled. I enjoy doing our driveway. This is from Jill. So I would have done the same thing. I wouldn't have posted on social media, though. That, that, that is the thing. It's, we, we feel this, this need to share. And I, it is interesting to me that the guy, when you take the picture and you put it out there you you don't at least think through that okay maybe some people are going to look at this and see you sitting at home you know having your cup of tea and and your wife out shoveling the stuff um Let's see, Jeff, I work eight to nine hour shifts five days a week and then come home to my second eight to nine hour shift as a wife and a mom to four kids. Then on weekends, I do a 16 plus hour shift as a mom and a wife. I say, good job for shoveling and what's the big deal? That's what we superheroes do every single day. To which, you know, the, the congregation clearly, I think, you know, says, says amen. It's just, I, I think it's sort of an interesting, again, dynamic here, you know, that, that the husband wakes up and, oh, that's good. She's out there shoveling the snow after her 12-hour thing, and I'm just going to watch her. He could have at least put his head out the door and said, do you want some help, or do you just want me to make you some breakfast? I'm not sure it would have ended so well if it was me out there shoveling. Yeah, that's there. That, well, that's the... That's the thing. Um, Jeff, if my spouse was going to be home at 6 a.m., I would have been out there shoveling at 5 a.m. Huh. Well, that's kind of the other thought that's um, out there. Um, Jeff, if you see her doing that, you go out there and you either stop her or you at least help her. Yeah, I think, again, maybe it's a generational thing or, or whatever. I think my instant... My initial reaction would have been, "Hun, get, get in the house, uh, we'll, we'll take care of it, or at least at the very least, if she refused to do that, I would have gone out, I think, and, and helped her. But again, not the biggest issue in the world, one way or the other, just interesting to see how people react. The guy obviously thought it was a clever tribute to his wife. Oh, what a great gal. She works 12 hours, and then she comes home and she shovels the, the driveway He obviously, I don't think, perceived how some people, including a lot of his constituents, might have perceived that when he put it up there on the internet. It just goes to show that sometimes before you put these things up, regardless of what your intent is, maybe you want to think it through a little bit. My favorite text of all came in during the last conversation, Jeff. I don't know if Gruber handles divorces, but if he did, I know around my house it would have been one call. That's all. If <laughs> if I stood and watched my wife shovel the driveway, I again, it you know, to each their own. But I thought that was kind of an interesting controversy that's um, out there you know one of the things that we've been hearing about for the last couple of years is is gerrymandering and you're going to hear a lot about that over the course of the next month or two because they're they're redrawing the the district lines and the voting lines they do this every quick little history about this every 10 years based on the census they have to redraw Congressional district lines, they have to redraw in Wisconsin state senate district lines, they have to redraw assembly district lines, because over the course of 10 years, people will, people will move. And what ends up happening is, by, by law, the districts all have to have approximately the same number of people in them. So over a 10 year period of time, maybe you get a lot of people that, for example, move out of Milwaukee and they move into Waukesha. Well, you, you've gotta, you, you can't leave the districts the same as they were. You have to expand to take care of, for example, the, the changing populations. The problem with that is that when you start redrawing the district lines, it raises a lot of issues. Gerrymandering historically has referred to it has referred to racial gerrymandering, the idea that you would have politicians that would draw certain districts to diminish. Let, let let's say you've got a, a district that's you, you don't you don't want to have a black representative, for example. So the the old boys' network redraws the district, and you get kind of like weird. Weird street lines and things like that. So it minimizes the effect of the number of black voters in an area. It diminishes the the black vote and so it deprives people of black representatives. That would be the example of, of that. So it's always very tricky when you start, you know, changing lines, especially When you start moving the lines out, like districts are supposed to be they're supposed to be contiguous. They're supposed to be communities of interest. You know, you don't want to have a district, for example, that starts at the lake and assembly district and runs in a straight line out to Waukesha County. I mean, that's you you want to have things like closely together but the problem is whenever you start monkeying with these lines especially if you're doing it in urban areas where there is a large minority population you got to be really careful in the city of Milwaukee there's been this huge Argument, And this isn't conservatives or liberals. This is an internal argument between various voting groups as to how to change the, the, the districts. Um, for example, there was originally a, a in, in the maps that had been drawn originally, what they were trying to do is increase Hispanic representation. So by monkeying around a little bit with the the lines of the the boundaries and the borders of these districts, you, you put theoretically more Hispanic voters in a couple of them. Problem is when you do that, you're, in many cases, you were taking it out of historically black districts. So you had some aldermen who were saying, hey, this isn't right. What we're doing in an effort to perhaps try to increase the Hispanic influence, what we're doing is we're lowering the number of black voters in a particular area. It, it's a very difficult thing, and it's a mess. And the city of Milwaukee, they, they've they've been trying desperately to get it right, and, and they can't. At least by that, I mean, every time they come up with a map, it gets shot down, because people say, no, this is this is unlawful, because you're diminishing this influence, or you're dimin- diminishing that influence. I bring this up just because for everybody who thinks, oh, it's really, really simple to take care of this, the answer is it's not. And it's particularly compounded in Wisconsin where, like in many states, where we are geographically a Republican state. Republicans are spread out all across the state. The Democratic votes are largely uh, concentrated in Milwaukee and in Madison, to a lesser extent, Racine. But those districts are overwhelmingly Democrat. And so what the Democrats want to do is take some of those people who live, like in Milwaukee, and spread them out into other districts. Let's try to make them diverse politically. Well, the law doesn't say you're supposed to do that but the problem is even if you do start to do that what happens is then you find yourself diminishing the impact of say minority votes in some areas it's it's not easy at all and I understand some people say this is very simple and the Republicans are trying to just mess up the election and stuff like that well it's it's a lot more complicated than that just ask the people in the city of Milwaukee who are trying to draw city maps and salvage this, I guess, by getting a $2,000 fine. I think it's the right resolution, although the law, I think, definitely needs to change.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff
0: Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, here's how... 2021 finished up in Milwaukee when it comes to crime statistics. Um, let's see, officially, homicides, 194 homicides, unthinkable number, up from 190 in 2020, which is just an unthinkable number as well. One of the numbers that and, – and as a general rule, um, it was up in almost every category or flat – and, of course, the the big increase was in motor vehicle theft. In 2020, 4,509 cars were stolen. In 2021, 10,470 cars stolen. Let me just let that linger out there for a minute. 10,470 cars stolen. You know, what's that? About 28 cars a day stolen on the mean streets of Milwaukee. So what's been going on this year? Well, um, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is we have fewer cars being stolen for the first X number of days of 2022 than we did in 2021. Matter of fact, it's down 10 percent. But it's down 10 percent. This is the bad news from an astronomically high number. This time last year, 291 cars have been stolen. This time this year, 262 cars have been stolen. And and so, yes, it's it's fewer, but it's still... Uh, about twenty six cars a day are getting stolen on the mean streets of Milwaukee. That that is just a staggering figure, and it is very apparent that we're not doing anywhere near enough to to control it. And of course, one of the frustrations that that we have is, of those ten thousand cars that were stolen, the last numbers I saw were that they had they had apprehended about a thousand people, and about half were were sick kids sixteen and under. That. In in many cases, my my guess is very little, if anything, ended up happening to them, and they're put out on the streets, and they're doing this over and over again, and until we realize that what we are doing now doesn't work, and it's time to start really coming down hard on the juveniles that are stealing these cars and not waiting until they steal the car and kill three people when they're leading the cops on a 100-mile-an-hour chase and they blow through a red light, this is going to continue to happen. The other related thing with regard to car thefts is, of course, reckless driving. Now, here's one of the interesting aspects of of this. The new police chief, Jeff Norman, who I wish all the luck in the world. I think he's a a good guy. He recognizes that this is a huge, huge problem. But the, the trouble is... There's only so much that the cops can do. The cops can arrest the 15 year old driving the stolen car who's gone 95 miles an hour and is driving down the the sidewalk. They can arrest him. They can take him out of that stolen car. But, but at that point in time, the, the police involvement ends, and what you do is you turn it over to the, the catch-and-release court system, the John Chisholm, let's-be-progressive district attorney's office that pretty much goes out of its way to refuse to put people in jail, and then even if it gets into the court system, the... the not everyone, but a large number of the Milwaukee County judges, especially the juvenile court judges, who bend over backwards to try to avoid holding people accountable. So, you know, here here's the deal. This is one of the things that Norman's saying. And I'm listening to a story they have up on Urban Milwaukee, which is one of the uh, local websites that covers a lot of urban issues. And they actually do a very, very good job. It's, it's got a very liberal spin, but that doesn't mean that there's not stuff worth reading there. So here's the deal. Um, on last February, the, the new police chief, Jeff Norman, created a traffic safety unit. Through the early part of this year, the unit has handed out almost 20,000 citations. And of those 20,000 citations, about 11,000 were for speeding. So they're trying to, to crack down on this. Okay, so here's here's what he says. He says, well, okay, so we've been aggressive about this. We're trying to get people off the streets. But officers assigned to the unit are now finding that it's the same people over and over again that they are arresting for reckless driving. Um, They say we have at least 10 individuals who have been pulled over at least six times since last February. And, and to me, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But they say, we've got 10 that have been pulled over at least six times for driving recklessly. Um, th- they go on to say, we could pull these over individuals over eight more times and their, their behavior would not change. So giving them tickets and telling them don't do it again is not stopping the behavior. So one of the things that they want to do is they say look here here's what we want to do we want to we want to come in and we want to start seizing the cars for these chronic reckless drivers the law allows us to you know pursue civil or criminal contempt citations that would offer provide the opportunity to seize the vehicles and maybe even heaven forbid, put some of the people that are doing this in jail. Now, the problem with this is that you've got the very, very liberal and sort of out-of-control Milwaukee city attorney who wants to be mayor is Chairman Spencer, and, and he has not bought into this program at all, and he at least doesn't appear to be willing to commit any assistant city attorneys to trying to seize cars, et cetera, et cetera. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I understand there are limitations to this. If the car is stolen that the person who's driving recklessly is driving, you're you're not going to be able to seize the car. You you turn that back to the rightful owner. So I I get that it's not going to stop that aspect of it. But for those people for whom, I don't know, they're driving the car that belongs to them, or they're driving the car that belongs, quote-unquote, to their mother, or to their friend who's let them use it, I think seizing the cars is a great way to perhaps stop this problem a bit and get people's attention. If it's your car that you're driving recklessly in and boom, all of a sudden it's towed and you're not getting it back, well, that's gonna stop you. If you are one of the enablers that are out there, gee, it's my boyfriend, and I let him use my car, and and yeah, this is the fourth time he's done, and I keep letting him use my car. Well, maybe, just maybe you think twice about letting him use your car or letting your kid use your car and drive 95 miles an hour down a sidewalk. It's not the magic bullet that stops all reckless driving. Don't argue that it is. But for the repeat offenders... That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I think it's a great way to start. And I think it is shameful that the city attorney's office is not on board. What do you think? You're listening to Jeff Wagner
1: on WTMJ. 855-616-1620,
0: Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, seizing cars is a great idea. Glad you understand the DA's office is the problem. Well, the, the DA's office is part of the problem. The, the court system is the larger problem as well. But, you know, well, one of our texters makes a very interesting point. Jeff, it sounds like some of the cops and criminals are on a first-name basis. Pretty sad the times we live in. That's exactly what the police chief is saying. They're, they're seeing the same People over and over again. And and that's what I've been saying for years when it when it comes to now we're talking about reckless driving. But when it comes to the car thefts, it's the, the same situation. You talk to the cops and they will tell you that is their ongoing frustration that it's the same people over and over again and you arrest them and then what happens is three days later you pull somebody over and you know no driver's license stolen car whatever and they're just they're back out on the street doing it over and over again and if you don't impose some sort of control look i think the vast the vast majority of car thefts A lot of this reckless driving, I don't know if I think it's the vast majority, but a lot of the reckless driving, it's done by the same people. I mean, what are the cops saying? You know, they've got at least 10 people that they've arrested six times over the course of the last 11 months. Well, that tells you that there's no deterrent that is out there. And I appreciate that seizing the cars doesn't solve all the problems, doesn't stop the stolen car problem, which I think... You know, you get caught stealing a car, boom, you know, I think you should be in jail. But I appreciate it doesn't stop it, but it does address some of the reckless driving problem to the extent that somebody is recklessly driving in a car that either belongs to them or has been lent to them by their friends or their family or or whatever. You start taking the cars, and I guarantee you that, okay, maybe those friends, family members, those enablers are going to be less likely to lend you the cars um, that the next – time jeff i write crime reports for a local police department it's always a few people that are the worst offenders yeah that that's that's it there's no question about it um let's see jeff this would be a great idea as of now you get pulled over in milwaukee with no license it's a hundred dollar ticket 120 twenty dollar ticket no insurance 120 twenty dollar ticket and then you drive away and of course when you don't pay the ticket there's no consequences for that either Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're in WTMJ.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. How's it going? Good. What do you think? Well, I was up with you for most of it there, but I disagree strongly with the seizing of the cars, and here's why. Uh, if you want to stop a uh, recurring uh, bad behavior, specifically like the reckless driving here, you need to do something that punishes directly the, the person who's doing those actions. And in some cases, yes, it might be their car. Mm -hmm. So maybe in those few select cases, you might stop that. But in many cases, it's a stolen car, it's a friend's car, a family member's car. And that person may or may not even know that the person is driving recklessly that is using their vehicle. if, if I'm stealing someone's car or if I'm taking a friend's car and driving it all crazy, well, if you take that car away, I'm just going to go find some other car to do the same thing, and you're not punishing directly the person who is the cause of the problem. So now, granted, I don't know the magic number. Is it two strikes, three strikes, four strikes? Uh, someone who gets paid more than me can figure that out. But I think the better solution would be some type of strike system because it sounds like It's not a huge group of people. It's the same people over and over and over. So we have to figure out how to directly punish those people and have repercussions for them without punishing people that, that don't have anything to do with it, and now they're out of vehicles they need for their family.
0: Well, I see. I was with you up to a certain point, there, Mark. I, I have no. If you're if you're saying, do I think that we need to hold the reckless drivers? You know, you're driving 95 miles an hour through a red light. You damn near kill three or four people. Do I think we need to hold them accountable? I, I'm, I'm with you. And to me, the, the accountability starts with prosecuting people and, heaven forbid, maybe putting people actually in jail. A novel concept to the John Chisholms of the world. But at the same time, I don't think that seizing cars is a tool that you shouldn't use. As you said, first of all, I, I, we both agree, if it's a stolen car, that, that, that's off the table. The car goes back to the rightful owner. So that takes that subset out. But for the people that are recklessly driving in their vehicle, you you betcha, That's first of all, they're going to lose their car, but also for all the enablers that are are out there, the people that are lending the folks the cars, who know, okay, you know, your 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 dirt ball, you know. Twenty-two-year-old gangbanger's kid who's never had a driver's license before in his life who says, "Hey, Dad, I, I want to use your car. Or, hey, Mom, I'm going to drive your car." Well, okay. What do you think is going to happen in that sort of situation? Well, what you do is if you lend that that car to your your kid, yeah, I think that there should be some degree of accountability. And I don't. And if you want to come in, and this is the way it always worked in the federal government, the federal level, um, you know, they had. If you could come in and prove that you were a completely innocent owner, I had no idea that that the car was going to be used in this sort of fashion. That would always be a way that you could fight it. And that will be a certain subset. But I will tell you, my guess is, and again, it's just a guess, but if you started pursuing this, my guess is that you would find that a lot of people who were driving the cars recklessly, who had been stopped on multiple occasions, they were in that same car. That's the you know, the, the mom had, had lent them the car over and over again, or the friend had lent them the car over and over again. Bottom line is we need to have more consequences for people who engage in this sort of, of behavior. And, and I think it's a tool in the toolbox. Do I think it's the absolute be all, end all? Of course not. It, it, there, there's no one magic bullet solution, but I, for one, am tired of... You know, reading these stories in the newspaper or or seeing the stories on television or hearing our radio news reports about, you know, people that have been killed because somebody has stolen a car and is joyriding and is running from the cops or whatever, or that they're just driving recklessly and they've blown through a red light at 85 miles an hour because they just felt like they wanted to do it and they've hit and killed somebody. I'm tired of those stories. I'm tired of hearing about innocent people who are coming back from church or on their way to dinner or whatever and are in an intersection following the rules with the lights and they're hit by somebody who's driving 95 miles an hour who doesn't give a rat's rump and is running through that. How many more of these deaths do we have to have before we say enough is enough? And, and I applaud the, the police chief for at least trying to do something to to try to get this under control. Do you need a broader approach Absolutely. There's no question in my mind that you do. And I have no trouble with some of the things they're talking about, like putting speed bumps in and and doing some things that make it tougher to speed on certain city streets. All, All that stuff makes sense to me. But it's it's all kind of nibbling around the edges. The underlying thing is we've got to start holding people accountable and using all the tools that we have. And to me, car seizure is one of those tools. John McCure with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. will find out what he has on his mind. Stick around.